Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of Leading from Alignment with our good friend, John Opaluski, as well as a guest that we're excited to introduce to you. John, how are you doing today? Hey, Jim, I'm I'm good. Recovering from a, a stretch of uh, COVID, and uh, for the first time in about five weeks, I feel energized. Right on. So, so the rumors of your death were greatly exaggerated yet yes. again. Yes, nice they were. Nice to know. Good. For those that are watching, they'll see a third a third face on the on the uh, the pod today. Why don't you introduce our guest? Yeah, we are really privileged to have with us Daniel Whitehead. Uh, Daniel uh, serves as the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health uh, Ministries. It is a wonderful ministry, and he's going to tell you all about it. I met Daniel through uh, a mutual acquaintance several uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, Jim, we had such a good conversation, and I was so intrigued by what they're doing that uh-huh. I thought, oh, we've got to have Daniel on the podcast because I believe what he's going to talk with us about uh, today and then in the next podcast is going to be a tremendous help to uh, pastors in their congregations, all not just in the United States and in Canada, but all over the world. We're very excited about having Daniel with us today. So, Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, let me let me start by commending you, John, on your haircut and your glasses. I'm a, I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hold on, let me, let me let me join you. There How's you that? go. Do you know what the three of us? This we could be triplets. This is um, <laughs> this is remarkable. Instead of yeah. Larry, Moe, and Curly, it's Curly, Curly, and Curly. Yeah. <laughs> Great to be with you, gentlemen. Yeah, <laughs> Daniel, thanks for being with us. And when we have a guest on on the podcast, we always like to hear their story of yeah. how they came to Christ. Uh, we never really tire of hearing uh, that amazing moment in time where, where Jesus became real to you. And so I wondered if you would share with us a little bit of your journey towards faith. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, I, I had the distinct privilege of growing up in a Christian home uh, where mm-hmm. there was much love and laughter and forgiveness being modeled and and all those wonderful mm-hmm. things that is increasingly rare in our culture, uh, yeah. tragically. So I grew up with that. At, at the age of 13, um, I kind of, uh, I moved away from the church and that that was, for a few reasons. Number one, um, I didn't find in the community of Christ, I, I don't like this, but at the time as a 13 year old, I didn't find a compelling enough reason to stay connected. Um, yeah. I didn't I didn't see people looking back. I think I didn't know this, but I didn't see people I really admired. I didn't really see um, people that I felt I could relate to. And instead, I, I actually found community in playing soccer on Sunday mornings. And, and I- in some respects, in some respects, I don't really have any regrets in a weird way because I learned a lot from that group of people. Um, but of course, uh, I always believed, and it was at the age of 18, that I had a, a, a deeply personal encounter with Christ that was just completely transformative. And there was there was no way I could, um, yeah, ever, ever go anywhere else. So it was in that very uh, tangible experience of meeting face-to-face with the grace of God revealed in Christ through the Spirit, that um, my life was set on a, a slightly different trajectory. And, and um, so, yeah, I, I've, you know, and that was when I was 18. I'm now 42. 
Um, but yeah, I've always believed, always since a child, I've always believed in God. Help me out, Daniel. So what happens next? You have this, this what you describe as a face-to-face encounter with the grace of God. It's not, it's not a religion. It's not a sermon. It's not a homily. Mm. It's not a tradition. It's a, it's a savior. It's a person. And now yeah. that has to affect your very young adult life in profound ways. So it, were you headed towards being a, a carpenter, a candlestick maker, or a, and, that, and that changed the trajectory of your life professionally as well? Well, it's interesting. So I was doing an undergraduate degree in uh, multimedia journalism. I wanted to make films for for a living. And I started to do that. And and uh, I after my undergrad, I went and did some voluntary work in South Africa. And then again, another transformative, uh, I spent six months in Cape Town, um, mm. working in uh, many of the, uh, let's say, poorer communities on the edges of Cape Town. And um, again, it was it was in that in Cape Town with um wonderful people different perspectives that i felt a, a pull to the church and so mm. i moved back to the uk at 21 and within six months i was working for a church which wasn't wasn't the plan it just kind of happened that way and then within yeah. a couple of years i was leading that church as a 24 year old so oh. um wow. quite, yeah quite a remarkable wow. and not it, it wasn't my plan it just kind of happened right. that way so so yeah. that wasn't four years of college and three years of seminary, and no. it was a relationship that became a practical adventure with Christ that gave you a platform congregationally to lead. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, and I was I was doing some studies with it, but I never completed them. But I was doing a I was doing a yeah. master's in theology at the time. But yeah. then I later actually ended up doing a double master's in theology as a mature student. So I kind of did it back to front, but I, I led the church for eight years. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm no, curious. Go ahead, Go ahead John. John. Well, okay. I'll, I'll, here's my question. So you, you now know what you're doing because you've been educated, but you've been doing it for years. Yeah. Did, did you realize you'd been doing it right all along or did you realize you've been doing it wrong all along because of your, your masters? <laughs> you know, you know, if I did it again, there would be a few things I would change, but not loads. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, the, the, the way, the way the way I lead, I'm a very intuitive leader, um, yeah. and, and I know some people aren't, and I respect that. But but I am, and I, I yeah. you know, often when you get nice compliments from people about the way you lead or the way you present, you know, where did you train? And I'm like, I honestly, it, it's just, it's just in me. It's just who I am. Yeah. This is this is how I communicate. This is how I understand people, um, in yeah. all of the the good and the bad. Because there's always right. good and bad, whoever you are. There's this, yeah. you know. Th- the lie that you can have a perfect leader or that a human being can have 2020 vision on everything. It's just, a, it's a lie. Yeah. It's not true. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That's so good. I was thinking, you know, that you said it wasn't, uh, you hadn't planned it that way. Um, I, I, I would concur that if I had to plan my, my life, it definitely wouldn't have taken the twists and turns that it did, but I would have messed it up if I would have tried mm-hmm. to plan my own life out and uh, the way the Lord is, he just takes yeah. the the he takes the the twists and the turns, and uh, he puts you in spots that squeeze you, and you wonder why am I being squeezed so hard right now? And and he's just got this grand master plan, and it I it just it just is so good to hear that, uh, and we hear that so often when we have a guest on the podcast that yeah I yeah. had I had one thing in mind and God had something else in mind, and yeah. here I am. Uh, so that's, that's so neat. Well, Daniel, we're, 
we're very interested in what you're doing now. Uh, can you tell us about the organization you're currently serving? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the story goes, I, I was in ministry, I was experiencing burnout, but didn't really have words for that or a way to frame mm-hmm. that. So by God's grace, we moved to Vancouver in Canada, just a vague sense of God's calling. And we came for a year that was now nine years ago. And, mm-hmm. um, as I was coming into land on my first master's in theology, which I really did out of a passion, just out of, I'm finding it really interesting learning about the story of God's people. So I did a master's in church history. I needed a job and I found this little nonprofit called Sanctuary through a, a kind of miraculous or serendipitous set of circumstances. Um, I found this little nonprofit and I applied and it was two part-time people. And I, my again, my intuitive sense was this organization could uh, just blow up. There is such a global need for the kind of conversations that this organization is having. So what Sanctuary does is it takes theology and psychology and it, it lifts up the voice of lived experience. So people's story, people's story of living with a mental illness or a mental health challenge in the context of faith. And it holds all of these different perspectives together and helps the church find a new way of talking about mental health and a new way of being in response to the needs of mental health. And when I when I realized what Sanctuary had done as a local nonprofit in Vancouver, I said, it, well, if we could take what we've learned in the local church over the last six years and we can turn that into a model that anyone anywhere can access, we can help millions of people. Uh, find a supportive, loving community, find a place where there is a sanctuary, a safe place for people to recover faithfully with God. So so we found that scalable model in the sanctuary course. We created a course which is kind of like a mental health alpha course. It's eight sessions. Mm -hmm. It's now in five languages. It's been used in 80 Mm -hmm. countries. So in the last, I've been there seven and a half years, we've seen two part-time local organization to now 13 full-time staff across four countries and um, hundreds of thousands of people being impacted and all kinds of interesting places and spaces that we're being invited to go in and speak, speak into. So it's been an incredible journey, like remarkable. Wow. I'm, you know, that my, my pastor that I, I, I kind of grew up under, I came to the Lord, came back to the Lord in the military. So in my early twenties was discipled for the first time. And he used to say, you know, find a need and fill it. Yeah. Just find a need. The whole world's on fire. God put a squirt gun in your hand. Now, now go do some good with it. And and yeah. uh, to have to have the courage to run towards, if I'm just being honest as a pastor, you're mm. running towards people. Sometimes I'm running from. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're yeah. you're running towards them by yeah. the millions, and that that was a good thing. Is really evidence, isn't it, that God God is in it because you had hope for millions. You can't. You can't approach millions without hope for millions. Can you can you yeah. expound on that? I, you know, you're talking about an intuitive leader, and obviously there's some vision here, and you're not afraid of a challenge. You're 23 years old, mm-hmm. senior pastoring. So, what? I mean, how did you grasp the moment that you were in? Because this is pre-COVID, right? This is before yeah. everybody's using exactly. this medium. This is you're pioneering to some degree this idea from scratch. Well, you know, it's funny. No, all of those things are true. Objectively, they're true. But the reality for me in the midst of it is it doesn't sound anywhere near as brave or glamorous. It's not, you know, I I often think very often the depiction we have of like Moses, you know, when he's standing in front of the sea and he's got the staff and we, we picture him like, 
you know, poking his chest out, planting it. And yeah. I just wonder if he was kind of holding it, looking around. Uh, uh. <laughs> but, you know, it's more, it's yeah. definitely more like that than the former for yeah. me. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it takes, yes, I guess it takes bravery. It takes a certain degree of stupidity. It takes a yeah. willingness to be vulnerable. It takes a willingness to fail. It takes, and, and that's the thing we all hate as leaders. Well, I do, but I hate as leaders is like to lead authentically, you have to fail. At least I do. I, I don't believe yeah. the lie that you, you know, you. for yeah. me, failure isn't a bad thing. It's an opportunity to learn. And so you have yeah. to take it on the chin. You have to iterate and you have to grow. And so the journey yeah. of discerning what God is doing has looked like us just getting to this point and discerning and getting to this point and, and occasionally you have little turns. But at that point, you acknowledge that you hold it yeah. before God and then you get up and you go again. So yeah. it. it it isn't as glamorous as it seems, but um, remarkably, it ha- we have got to this place by having a, a deep sense of community in the team and this sense of um, need. We're driven by, yeah. there is yeah. such an immense opportunity for the church to step into this gap in this historical mm-hmm. moment. And And the question that keeps me awake at night is, when you look at need in society historically, the church has always been at the center of meeting those needs. Yeah. That's why yeah. there's a church at the center of every city, town, and village in the new world. Right. That's why there's right. a cathedral at the center of every city in Britain, my motherland. It's because yeah. literally the cities were built around the church because the church right. did welfare, healthcare, education, justice. And the thing that keeps me awake mm-hmm. at night is in this historical moment where there is a mental health epidemic, what will the history books say about what the church did? Yeah. Will it say that the church ran away or will it say that the church stepped up and said, we are a safe space for people and we have a, a message and an ethos of love that can actually transform the world. Will we actually believe what our gospel tells us is true? That's so good. You know, uh, I, I've got a, a question for you coming up here, but I, I have to, I have to preempt it with this. Because you said something that I thought was so important, Daniel, being willing to fail. Mm. I I think um, I speak for a lot of pastors, a lot of leaders who are deathly afraid of failure. Yeah. And because of that, they they don't risk enough. They they don't take enough because to them, failure is fatal. Failure is embarrassment failure is the worst thing that could ever happen to them can i just wonder if you could expound on that piece of your journey not being afraid to fail can you talk to us a little bit more about that because i think that's really an important piece of of what you said uh to jim's question yeah i think i think there is this invitation this journey in front of every human being that wants to live authentically in this world or at least yeah i think to every human being to allow our egos to be broken and torn down. And that can happen Mm. in a really violent way, uh, or it can happen in a kind of slow, painful processing kind of way. And um, listen, I don't want, I don't want to be any more broken than I am. Thank you very much. But but the reality is even in situations that have happened in the last six months, I have to go, oh, there are levels and there are depths of, of, of me being, less of me so that there's more of christ and and that really for me lands in me accepting that i am not in control 
that I don't, you know, our culture wants to tell us all that we're self-made and the people we worship are self-made. No one is self-made. Whose air are we breathing? Whose creation is this? So I think being, allowing ourselves to be in relationship in that way and really reliant upon God, it has to happen because if it doesn't, if we don't allow it to happen, which means making mistakes and admitting them and apologizing and getting up and going again, because you can't yeah. capitulate that there's a mission yeah. at stake. There's the, you know, there's lives at stake. Doing that, I think, is is way more sensible than what we see in our culture happening, which is mm-hmm. these preeminent spiritual leaders that we've been encouraged to emulate. And suddenly there's this catastrophic moral failure. Yeah. And it keeps right. happening again and again and again. And I'm going, this this absolutely mental health is part of this. Um, yes. And we can simplify mm. it and turn it into this is just a spiritual issue and it's a battle that they, I mean, it's always spiritual, but it's never only spiritual. It's it, right. it's, it's spiritual, it's biological, it's psychological, it's social. We're complex. Yes. God has made us this way. So I think if we're not willing to admit our mistakes in the small things, those things will add up and they will come back and pay with interest. And, and I don't like mm. admitting that. I just keep seeing it happening where... yeah good godly people leaders that are way way more impressive than me way more able than me that get knocked off their pedestals and then we all say well you know well the enemy won that one and i'm thinking Mm. we're not really addressing the the need for leaders to live into brokenness um yes last time i checked our savior hung on a cross naked and screamed out my god my god why have you forsaken me um Mm. and got no answer so that's the kind of leadership I think we all have to live into and it's not yeah. glamorous and it's horrible and it's painful, but it is the way of Christ. Yeah. And, and I really appreciate you expounding on that because I do, I do think that there is this element of leadership that is uh, risk requiring and risk brings along with it the potential for failure. Um, yeah. And and when I look back on my, my life, it is those moments where I, I stub my toe or slam my face into a wall um, where I've learned the most, um, where mm-hmm. my ego has been right-sized. And mm-hmm. um, and and I, I feel like uh, there are too many of us who play it safe, who care, we're, we're, we're not risk takers, we're caretakers. You know, we... Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I think we miss out sometimes because we're afraid to take reasonable risks. We miss out on some really cool things God has for us to be and to and to do. So thank you for taking a moment, Daniel, just to give us more on that. Um, I, I want to ask you this: you know, Converge Coaching, we we focus more on the inner well-being of of a leader as opposed right. to the congregations that they lead. Um, But we realize how important it is for congregations to get healthier as well. Um, Mm -hmm. What is happening in your, from your perspective, Daniel, what's happening mentally and emotionally in the lives of of people who attend the churches that we lead? Yeah. Well, I mean, statistically research would say the same thing that's happening to people outside the church, which is Mm -hmm. same levels of, depression, anxiety, same levels of suicide and suicidal ideation. Mm. Um, I think that the interesting thing is, and often the sanctuary course, it's, it's not like 
I'd love to just do that classic telesales marketing job. And I've even got the dodgy British accent to match, you know, like, um, but why is that? Why are those guys always got dodgy British accents? I don't know. But, um, but, but, you know, the course is not going to, the sanctuary course is not going to solve all your problems. But, but when I was in pastoral ministry, I would have loved for my congregation to have that conversation for my sake. because it makes a safer community for me to not be okay it makes a safer community for me to be human which we are and and you know so i think um i think there's great need in the church right now and and great opportunity is that the need and the opportunity the need is for people to know that they can bring their whole authentic selves into the light of the community and actually in doing that we are making space for God to do what he can do, only he can do. And and it also creates space for others, in, like leaders in the community, but also others in the wider community to find yes. um, space to to be real about where they're at and to, and to get access to the help and care that people need. We all need it. Yeah. So you know, that's why I see I, it. I've thought about it this way, and I don't know if this is accurate or not. I, I thought I've thought this for probably about fifteen years. In order for a leader to be healthy as a whole person, uh, that it requires several things. One is that leader taking ownership of that for themselves, that nobody else is responsible for their well-being. But it also requires understanding from their board and yeah. from their congregation as yeah. well. And I. And I don't know if you agree with that thought or not. Definitely, definitely. That's the that's the thing. I I think I don't want to misquote someone. I think it might have been Brené Brown who said it. I might be wrong, but I think she said something like, "You know, vulnerability is good for everyone. Vulnerability is good for me. It's good for the community, but people will weaponize your vulnerability and use it against you." Mm. And and it's so true. And and the one place where our vulnerability should not be weaponized is. The, the community of Christ. It, I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense that, you know, yeah. uh, my son goes to a Christian school and um, he loves it, but he's he's found like in his old school, which is a non-Christian school, the kids were kind of easier to get along with. <laughs> he said in the Christian yeah. school, they, they're kind of always telling me like, remember the 10 commandments or the, and, and he's a, you know, he's a young boy trying to find his way in the world. And, and, he actually is like, oh, I found more encouragement with my friends outside the church. So, uh, which was interesting. He was talking to me about that as a seven-year-old. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I led a church. <laughs> wow. I, I led a church for eight years. And, uh, you know, when I was at my biggest point of need, it was really accidentally I bumped into, I, I tell you this story. I, so I, I was, I became godson to our friend. Our friends, they're not, they're not people of faith, especially. I mean, they may have faith, but they don't go to church and I, I don't really know. Um, but they invited me and my wife to become godparents of their son. And there's another couple invited. And the other couple, again, as far as I know, they don't attend church. They're not people of faith. So they, as they do in Britain, after your christening, everyone's back to their house and all the guys are outside standing around a bonfire in the rain drinking beer. So um, I don't know that this is a particular, particular cultural tradition, but it was for them. And I'm standing around and this other god father wonderful man starts telling me his story and he has a harrowing story of trauma just awful um terrible things that have happened to him as a, as a child and he just spontaneously tells me and i said wow i'm like it's amazing that you're 
able to live into your story and talk about it. And he said, yeah, well, he said, I, I, I realized I had this trauma. And it, I said, what do you do with that? He said, well, I did, I did see a therapist, but the other thing I did was I told my friends. And he pointed at these guys standing around this this bonfire. And these are like big, burly guys. These are like, these are rugby, beer drinking guys. Yeah. And I said, and what response did you get from them? And he said, well, no one judged me. And everyone said, hey, whatever we can do to help you, just tell us, we're here for you. And in that community, that picture of community, I'm like, man, I wish I was experiencing that in my own friendship yeah. circles in the church. Yeah. And, and I feel bad saying it, and it's not, I'm not trying to point mm -hmm. the finger at anyone, but the reality is I did not have that level of openness that he had. So I think there is something, and that's hard for us to hear as people who love the church and who love God, but I think I just had to be real about it and go, I'm not sure the church I, that I'm leading is able to hold this kind of level of vulnerability for people. And so really the sanctuary mm. course is trying to help churches in a safe way, find that space for people to find that vulnerability. I just love in, it. In, so your, in your experience, Daniel, I say there's a hundred people in the church and how many people need to embrace this model of community before it really has a chance to become the ethos of the community? Is it mm. is it one small group of guys around a campfire that can change the whole culture? Is it 50%? Is it 51% of tips? What's your, how many healthy people does it take to make something unhealthy have a, a much better chance to change culture? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to know that answer. If I did, I'd be telling <laughs> everyone what it was, but yeah. I'm not sure. I think it depends on the people. I think, yeah. you know, if, yeah, I mean, it's like the classic adage, Jesus hung out with 12 people for three years and, you know, uh, and and one of them actually didn't work out that well. So right. I think you know there is there is a model there for us if you've got the right people. And I, I definitely think this kind of conversation, this subject, if it's modelled at the front, if it's modelled by leadership, yeah. then then the transformative effect yeah. is incredible. Um, I've seen it in small groups where one guy goes, "Hey guys, can I just be honest with you?" And he mm. talks for ten minutes, but that gave everybody in the circle permission to be honest. Yeah. Kind of from that day forward, it, it changed from this yeah. Bible study or prayer group or purpose, you know, themed events or interest themed event to friendship. Mm -hmm. Really, when some guy said, hey, I'm really struggling with my marriage and it turns out two yeah. other guys of the 10 were struggling with their marriage. And then yeah. there's one older guy who used to struggle with his marriage that might know how to help those guys. And before you know it, it really is a, a much different setting than the, the Bible study, you know, the men's study so or whatever true. it was. Just, just curious. My experience is it doesn't take many, many, yeah. many people to get authentic yeah. before it becomes far more contagious than the mass or the hypocrisy. Is that, is that your experience as well? No, I think, I think that sounds absolutely right. I, I'm just thinking about previous experiences with churches that I know where, yeah. yeah, if you've got the right, if you've got the right person, like the person who is the mover and shaker or the influencer or the connector, right. if you can get hold of that person, then it's amazing how quickly people can get on board. So I think that's right. true. Yeah. Right. So I, here's our problem right now is we're, we're up against the clock, John, I I'm assuming I can feel that, that ticking going on, but there's like five questions I haven't asked you yet as a pastor. And I'd love to get another swing at this. Would you stick around? This is two sixteen. Would you give us another, uh, you know, maybe come back next week, if you will, as far as our listeners are oh. concerned. And is I, there's so many things I want to ask you about 
about mental health, about the program that you have. Um, and I guess we'll kind of close it out that way. If someone was looking for the information you've talked about, how would we find you? How do, how do we connect with what you're doing? Oh, well, of course, I would be delighted to to come back. Um, yeah, so our website is sanctuarymentalhealth.org. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, X. Is that what it's called now? I don't know what it's called. Oh, X now, yes. Yeah, so, yeah this week. So, when this airs, it'll be called something else two weeks from now. But this week, it's called that. <laughs> but sanctuarymentalhealth.org. You can look us up and, and follow us. Okay, right on. All right. And for those of you who might have missed that, because here's, here's the translation, sanctuary, uh, uh, mentalhealth.org, right? I got that right? Okay. You got it. Well, John, anything you want to say in closing? No, Daniel, we're looking forward to uh, spending some more time talking with you in the next episode. Lightning round. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. God bless you, our dear watchers and listeners. Um, I love that we've had this last 25 minutes hang out together. I think that, I think anytime God is brought into the conversation, the potential for generational change exists. And I think that if you listened or you're in need of this, or you're going to go log on to the website now, or you're going to enlist a coach, you're going to, I, I think that this 25 minutes has been well spent and we're praying for you that God will continue to lead you and use you and bless you and, and uh, keep going. If you're getting this the day it comes out, it's Tuesday and you haven't quit, which means God's doing something in your life, pastors and leaders. So Keep going. We're here for you. If you need to talk to us, convergecoach.com, connect button right there. We'd love to have a half hour conversation with you and maybe we'll send you towards Daniel or send you towards whatever the need is. We're going to send you where, where that need is met because that's what we're here to do. So God bless you as you continue to lead from alignment.